0: good afternoon and welcome to the enhanced strategy update I'm john wilson and over the next uh, 20 minutes or so i wanted to quickly review uh, how we're looking at the world today uh, how we've constructed the portfolio because of that and uh, we'll take a, an in-depth look at a few of the positions we put in place both to capture upside and to hedge our downside um, well as a starting point i wanted just to revisit uh, the purpose of our fund which uh, as most of you know, is designed uh, not to replicate uh, a, a benchmark. It is designed to own uh, large cap equities uh, and provide downside hedging using put options. Within that uh, construct, we also hedge out currency risk. Uh, our enhanced equity fund is, uh, and our enhanced balance funds are about 50-50 allocated between Canadian and American equities. Um and so the u s dollar exposure is obviously a big one in both of those funds uh, over the thirteen or fourteen years we 've been running the strategy. Uh, we have always run with uh, currency hedging in place, primarily because uh, as most of you will have noticed, it can be very difficult to predict uh, which way the currency is going to move. There are many many, many variables uh, that drive that and so um Uh, In fact, at the moment, we're entirely hedged on U.S. dollar exposure, and we've been that way uh, for the entire uh, uh, year-to-date period from the the beginning of 2017. Um, Within our uh, equity allocations, we also look at uh, our exposures very differently than the market generally. Uh, We don't work to an underweight, overweight kind of metric. Uh, Our allocations to sectors can be very different than the benchmark allocations. Uh, If we're not uh, interested or finding a a particular sector attractive, we're not underweight, we're at zero. Uh, And similarly, uh, from a stock perspective, we're uh, really not uh, tied in any way to what benchmark weights are. Uh, It's not unusual for us not to own any of the top uh, 20 benchmark weights. Uh, And in fact, that would largely be the case today. Um, And finally, uh, another thing making our our strategy different is we do use options a lot to help uh, mitigate risk in our portfolio, both generally with market uh, protection, with uh, market put options, but also individually on uh, single positions. We often will have options allocated to those positions to help mitigate risk around events such as earnings season or other catalysts that are on the horizon. Uh, So all of that said... Our our goal has always been to reduce the downside experience uh, much more than the upside experience. Uh, That has been more difficult to to do than we would like uh, the last year and a half or so. Uh, It has improved uh, pretty meaningfully over the last six months. Um, Effectively, really, since the start uh, of Trump's reign as President of the United States, Uh, once he uh, won the election, the focus of the market has largely moved away from the Fed, where it was 100% focused prior to the election, and spent a lot more time trying to discount what the potential impact of the various moves Trump has floated uh, might be. Uh, on that front, when you if you rewind to when the election uh, first happened back in November, uh, the market rallied, obviously, fairly uh, strongly coming right out of the election. And that wasn't, from our perspective, that surprising. Um, you ended up with an all-Republican government uh, across the Senate, the House, and, of course, the administration. And historically, all Republican governments uh, have offered promise to markets really along uh, a few key areas uh, and some specific ones that people became used to over the last uh, eight years of Obama's reign. Uh, first of all, one thing people hoped for was that we get away from this constant rolling crisis of permanently... or consistently threatening to shut down the government. Uh, secondly, um, related to that, there was this uh, ongoing game of chicken with the debt ceiling. Uh, and thirdly, uh, a Republican Congress had really not allowed a Democratic administration to really drive much fiscal stimulus for the U.S. economy. And it was an ongoing fiscal austerity. Uh, ironically, now that the Republicans are in charge, uh, all three of those seem to go away. And historically, if you look at Republican administrations and Congress, uh, there's really three things they tend to focus on, all three of which markets, equity markets certainly generally like. Um, one, they tend to be very pro-business and so focused on deregulation. Secondarily, um, taxes is always a constant uh, plank in the Republican platform, and certainly that's the case with Donald Trump and this Republican Congress. Uh, they want to lower taxes. And finally, um, uh, spending is historically, as much as uh, Republicans often like to position themselves as fiscal conservatives, the history is actually they are big deficit spenders and in particular related to increasing defense spending, uh, something that happened under uh, Reagan and Bush and, uh, again, something that Trump is talking about doing. Uh, all of this was sort of magnified by an understanding, uh, in our view, from the market that um, Trump was unique, even in the context of a Republican-driven administration, in that uh, you know, he's not limited by you know, traditional economic thought. <laughs> and some would argue that's because he doesn't understand traditional economic thought, uh, and I might argue that even if he understood it, he wouldn't care. Uh, in other words, uh, what you might get with Trump was that he could cut taxes a lot Um, more than might be uh, uh, reasonable with a long-term view because in his mind he's not around for the long term and he doesn't really understand the implications so um, so so the market over the short to medium term might really like a very large tax cut and certainly that's something that Trump had promised Um, and and related to that he could increase the deficit a lot with tax cuts and then on top of that spend more monies in areas like defense, and even you know he's promised infrastructure, uh, which would widen the deficit even further. And again, he's not limited by traditional economic thought or little things like running large deficits. This is a man who went bankrupt a number of times. So um, as much as that may be negative for the US fiscal balance over the long term, equity markets will love the, um, the adrenaline it gives them over the short term. And I think we saw a lot of that uh, coming out of the election in November. Uh, If you look at where we are today, reality has sort of sunk in, which is, in as much as Trump may have promised or or expressed a desire for a lot of those positives, his execution obviously leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, One, uh, you know, he's obviously embroiled in the scandal, which is limiting uh, his ability to pass legislation. Uh, But secondarily, he's, you know, really proven, uh, not just he, but the people around him have proven to be real rookies in terms of getting legislation to Congress. Uh, first of all, they went after um, the hardest thing first, which was health care, a very complex issue which Republicans really have no, um, no single view on. They're very fragmented around what they think the right answer for health care is. Um, when that first effort at health care didn't work, he then pivoted and said, well, we're going to do a tax plan, which is also very complicated, and issued a sort of very general one-page Plan with no details. Uh, When people sort of push back on that, they went back at health care again and managed to push what most people consider to be a poorly constructed bill through the House, uh, where they have a majority. Uh, And now they're in the situation where the Senate Republicans, in fact, have already said they don't even consider that House bill a starting point. They're going to do their own health bill. Um, and and really, now that they're stuck in that process, it's going to delay any attempts to get tax reform through uh, this year. So where that leaves us at this point, are the thing the market was hoping for the most, uh, which was a big tax cut, has largely been pushed out of 2017 and is, in fact, now backlogged or stuck behind getting this healthcare care bill sorted out, then negotiating a new debt ceiling, and then passing a 2018 budget. So, uh, you know, in as much as the market was hoping for um, a, a very stimulative tax cut policy that would drive growth and earnings for U.S. corporations and help uh, them grow into the valuations that are in the marketplace today, uh, it looks like the market's going to have to tread water for quite a while before it gets better visibility on that actually happening. Um, so so that's a key... Uh, Element when we look at risk-reward in the marketplace today uh, in terms of what the market is currently discounting and how long it's going to take to receive it, uh, if we go through the, the key elements that the market would like to see, the one that seems to be happening and, and we think offers some positives is clearly deregulation. That is something that Trump can control both through executive orders and executive appointments. Uh, he is re- reconstructing the SEC to be much more pro-bank and pro-financial industry. So um, we do expect and are already starting to see lots of chatter about uh, watering down of Dodd-Frank and even the Volcker rule, um, uh, all of which is quite positive for the financial industry. Uh, And obviously uh, the second area of of heavy regulation under Obama that he is uh, moving at a very quick pace to unwind almost totally is environmental regulation. So we just uh, had the G7 meetings last week where uh, Trump and the U.S. refused to sign on to the Paris agreement. Uh, he's already been rumored to have told his associates that he's going to pull out of the Paris agreement. Uh, beyond those sets of regulations which were commitment to cut greenhouse gases, he's already made some big revisions to things like um, pipeline approvals. Uh, he's approved you know, already um, granted approval to the Keystone XL pipeline crossing uh, that Obama and um, and Clinton had turned down. So so those two areas, financials and environmental-related industries, uh, are going to see major changes in regulation, and that's already starting to happen, and that, that can be quite positive to some of those underlying equities. The second major area the market wants, of course, were taxes. Um, any tax reform we do get now is already looking to be much more modest than what had been promised. Trump originally was looking at a 15% corporate tax rate, down from 35 currently. Uh, best case now, most people seem to think 25% might be the best they can get away with. Um, uh, a second key element of that was mandatory repatriation of offshore cash. Um, there's up uh, over $2 trillion of U.S. cash held uh, by corporations held overseas. Um, the the proposal seems to be to bring that back at a, a much reduced tax rate, not the 35% tax rate, but an eight to 10% tax rate, uh, and then all the other elements of the tax plan uh, are really not gaining ground and appear to be largely dead, including things like the border tax. So, uh, you know, if they can do something on taxes, it's going to be much more modest than what was originally proposed. Um, and it's doubtful that that even happens uh, in this year because of the leg- legislative agenda and backlog driven by health care and the budget. Uh, finally, defense spending, uh, you know, bu- Trump's budget proposal uh, proposed dramatic cuts in non-defense spending, almost uh, fatal cuts for a number of departments, including the EPA, the State Department, uh, Food and Health, the National Institute of Health, uh, even, de- even to children's lunch programs while meaningfully increasing defense spending. Uh, just about everybody in Congress considered that debt on arrival, including the Republicans in the House. So um, defense spending, we'll see. I think it is likely to go up, uh, but it will be part of the budget negotiation process and probably won't uh, meaningfully kick in until next year. Uh, areas that uh, we don't think are going to meaningfully uh, help the market or, or help their related industries. Uh, certainly health care is going to be challenging. It was challenging under Obama uh, and it's going to be challenging under Trump. Uh, the reality is the Republicans do not have a, a solution that they agree on for healthcare. care. It is uh, the largest part of the economy now in terms of where spending goes. Uh, and it does risk tying up Congress, arguing about it between the Senate and the House, which limits potential progress in areas the market does want, like taxes. Uh, and primarily that's because To pay for some of the tax cuts, Republicans are hoping to save money on health care and that's proving to be a difficult area to agree on. Uh, Infrastructure investment is something there was a lot of chatter about right after the election. We do not think that is something people should materially count on. Those stocks related to infrastructure investment have actually done quite well. Uh, We would fade that trade. I I do not think uh, that is something that is going to play out in either 17 or 18. Uh, And finally, trade. I guess I would say our level of concern over trade has risen since the election. It was always going to be an area that Trump appeared poorly educated on and somewhat militant about. Uh he has not backed down. Uh you know, just recently talking about uh, Germany and the imbalance uh on cars. He has a fairly irrational focus on looking at what I call bilateral trade. So looking at, you know, individual sectors even, you know, focusing on how unfair Canadian dairy is that he runs a deficit with Canada on dairy, so we should fix that without regard to the areas that he runs surplus with Canada on. Uh, And similarly, you know, pointing out uh, the German trade deficit and cars without understanding, you know, the fact that that's all part of the EU trade relationship and that, in fact, um, you know, Germans build a lot of their cars sold in the US in the US and and even export some of them. So, you know, that, um, I guess, from our point of view, uh, as part of this America first Uh, Negotiating tactic raises the prospect of retaliatory action. Uh, Canada, you know, Meekold Canada has already come back and threatened not to purchase uh, Boeing's F-18 Hornet bombers uh, or fighters uh, in retaliation for um, the U.S. opening up an investigation into Bombardier selling the C-Series. So and that's just one small example. Uh, You know, Europe will be quick to respond if if the U.S. does something uh, related to German trade. So, you know, related to all of the Trump stuff, um, deregulation will help a little bit. The big one we're hoping for taxes looks like it's going to be pushed out. And frankly, the biggest risk facing equity markets in our view right now over the next one to three years is trade. Um, he, he certainly appears committed to pursuing this idea that he should be neutral with trade with everybody or better, which is clearly an impossible uh, outcome and um, and if they push through america first type sanctions and tariffs similar to like they've done already on softwood canadian lumber uh, that risks tipping us into a global growth problem over the next few years as trade becomes increasingly limited so with all that in um, in context i wanted to take you through our positioning in the portfolio uh, and some uh, we'll take a look in in focus at some some areas we are uh, paying a lot of attention to right now. Um, our portfolio has really got three key elements at the moment. We always have a diversified equity book and we'll touch quickly on what the sector and, and name exposures are there and why we're there. Um, we're going to touch quickly on Europe. We do think that's a relatively attractive place to be right now. Uh, and there's some interesting ways to gain exposure there. And thirdly, obviously, we'll, we'll talk about our market hedging. Um, hedging is is right now as cheap for us as it has almost ever been. Uh, volatility is incredibly low. Um, it, we've been touching all time lows over the last month. And um, not only is it very low, but the pricing curve uh, for options is very inefficient right now, allowing us to build a hedging portfolio that's very cheap. Uh, so we'll talk a bit about how we're doing that. Uh, in terms of our equity book, Uh, As always, we're a very diversified, very large cap. Our average market cap now running around 65 billion. Um, Our biggest weight, uh, it sounds uh, a little unusual, but uh, our largest weight at the moment is energy. Uh, I know energy has not been a great performing sector this year. Um, It's probably not really fair to to call energy energy in our case. Um, Of our weight, which is roughly 20% of the portfolio, 18% 18% of it is related to pipelines and, and utilities. Um, that's a fairly defensive orientation uh, with a lot of yield. Uh, our biggest position are the subscription receipts on Alta Gas. Um, Alta Gas made a major uh, acquisition of U.S. assets last year. Um, the subscription receipts were issued, uh, um, they have a value of $31. Uh, We expect the deal to close early in 2018. Uh, If the deal does not close, we get $31 cash back. The the receipts trade at just over $30 today. And in the meantime, we earn a 7% monthly dividend. Um, 7% annual debt dividend collected monthly. So if the deal doesn't happen, we'll get our $31 back, which is above where the receipts are, and we'll get to keep all those monthly dividends. If, on the other hand, uh, the deal does close, it's very creative to cash flow, and their dividend payment will, uh, in our view, go up meaningfully. Uh, and so we think there's good upside in the stock on that basis. So Alta Gas, not really an energy play per se, but is formally in that sector. Uh, the two other pipelines we have uh, related to uh, to our energy book are uh, Trans Canada Pipe and Enbridge. Uh, both have held in uh, fairly well uh, over the the down draft in energy this year, Uh, both pay an attractive dividend, and both uh, have projects primarily in the U.S. that can drive growth over the next five to six years in a better regulatory environment uh, and looking at EBITDA growth uh, in the double digits above 10%. So we think those are attractive. Uh, The the only producer we have is actually Suncor, uh, and we have that for, for a reason, which is we're not bullish on energy prices, on crude oil in particular. Uh, but Sun- Suncor is protected by owning all of its downstream refining assets. Um, beyond that, it, it's benefiting from the uh, very creative integration of the Syncrude assets they got from the Canadian oil sands acquisition last year. So uh, yes, we have a 20% exposure to energy, but it's actually um, not volatile at all and uh, pays us a very nice yield and has very attractive assets in our view. Uh, Our second biggest allocation is technology. Um, Really three uh, positions there. Uh, Fiserv, uh, a large US uh, technology company, really providing um, uh, data services to the financial industry. It's been an excellent stock, steady grower. It's not cheap, uh, but very high visibility into its growth rate. And we think uh, a lot of room to keep expanding its addressable market. Um, another big position for us in technology has been CGI group in Canada, um, also we think uh, set to benefit under Trump uh, with his Buy American focus. Uh, they have uh, their entire U.S. business is actually uh, performed by 8,000 U.S. employees that they have, U.S. citizens. They have a lot of government work. Uh, a lot of, most of their competition is offshore in India and we think they're set to benefit from a greater focus on uh, providing outsourced business to onshore companies finally in technology we've also added um, real networks uh, a recent IPO uh, uh, in Canada most of their business almost all their business in the, in the US they provide um, networked appraisal services to the largest US mortgage lenders uh, it's effectively um, consolidating and disrupting uh, a legacy old business that was largely done with manual labor. Um, They are a terrific company that has got an amazing growth path in front of them. We think over the next few years they can grow revenue uh, and EBITDA at a better than 25% CAGR. Uh, So that's really our technology exposure. Uh, I want to touch quickly on some of the other sectors, including financials. we do not own any canadian banks our, our expect our exposure in financials is primarily um in canada manulife uh, if trump does succeed in stimulating and steepen the yield curve uh then manulife is set to benefit um so that that was one where one place we're allocated and the other is the intercontinental exchange uh, which has broad exposure to Options, futures, um, and equity trading markets globally, increasingly uh, growing its revenue through data services, not through trading volume. Um, so, those, you know, we're really not exposed to Canadian banks at all, uh, nor to the mortgage industry and some of the recent hiccups there related to home capital. Other areas of exposure include um, really the real estate infrastructure market with uh, Brookfield Infrastructure and Brookfield Property. Um, the healthcare market with uh, United Health and Danaher. Uh, we have some exposure in Staples with uh, Pepsi in the U.S. and tard in Canada. Uh, well, largely a U.S. company now. And finally, in consumer, uh, our big exposures are Comcast and Home Depot. Um, now, I wanted to quickly talk about uh, European equities. Um, when we uh, looked at the U.S. market, and as much as we like the companies we own. Uh, In general, our our North American book is relatively cheap compared to the market, but not what we would call absolutely cheap uh, compared to where we were three or four years ago. Um, And, you know, given that we're eight years into a bull market uh, and that um, earnings estimates have generally come down each year and the multiple has generally gone up each year, uh, it doesn 't feel like the risk reward is is hugely attractive. I understand the market 's near its highs, and it keeps pushing higher, largely led by a small group of technology stocks right now. But um, you know our job is to understand how much upside we 're being paid for and how much downside exposure there is and that that balance feels a little bit out of whack right now. Um, on the other hand, Europe looks fairly on a relative basis very attractive. To the U.S. and um, and and has the potential, in our view, to be actually absolutely cheap. Um, and so, you know, we looked at that for from through a couple of lenses. First of all, just European equities generally, uh, and as much as they've done well this year, have really not gone anywhere for the past two years. Uh, they're back to where they were in 2015. Um, if you look at European equities relative to the S&P. Uh, and look at the 12-month forward PE on a relative basis. Um, uh, European equities were on an absolute basis, or sorry, relative basis to the S&P, very, very cheap earlier this year. As they've outperformed the S&P so far this year, that, that cheapness has come in a little bit, but we would note that uh, the forward PE for the S&P is likely to come down. It's still, It's already started to come down this year and is likely to come down more. Whereas in Europe, we think the opportunity is there for the PE to at least stay where it is or even come up. Um, you know, the Europe, Europe is coming out of a period of very low growth where earnings estimates have been quite muted. Um, and so this year, earnings are actually set to grow faster than the U.S. Uh, the economic surprise indices in Europe are, uh, are holding at a very high level where the U.S. has come off quite a bit. And, um, and earnings growth over the next 12 months in Europe is set to be higher than in the S&P. So all of that says, you know, European valuations are already at a 10 or 15% discount to uh, the U.S. And uh, earnings estimates are, are already higher than they are in the U.S. in terms of growth and, and are likely to be cut a lot less than the U.S. and even maybe have some upside in them. You can add to that the fact that the euro is quite cheap relative to the U.S. dollar. Uh, It's off about uh, a little over 20% over the last couple of years. Um, And clearly uh, that has um, been a function of the ECB being very dovish and the uh, Federal Reserve uh, starting their tightening process. But it appears that the ECB is approaching an inflection point where they're no longer easing and are looking at starting to tighten. And we think the euro can uh, start to recover. It has already started to recover this year. As a result of that, you have a kind of double whammy where both European equities could do quite well and the underlying euro could do quite well. And so when we looked at which instrument you would want to have to have exposure to that, we came up with the FEZ, the FEZ. It's an ETF priced in euros for the euro stocks 50 index, which is Europe's version of the S&P. And that uh, allows us to play a broad uh, spectrum of European equities. Uh, We have chosen to do it with options. Uh, We did a very successful option trade around the French election uh, where we owned upside calls on the Fez. um, And uh, that played out for us uh, quite well as um, the French population voted for the mainstream candidate, not the right-wing populist candidate. And both the euro and and European equities rallied as a result. Uh, We've rolled that trade into another option trade where we've um, sold a downside put spread uh, to own upside calls out to January of next year. We did that trade for free, so the premium we received for selling the downside put spread paid for our upside calls. Uh, it limits our downside because it's a put spread and gives us open-ended upside um, with a significant period of time, um, so we, um, we think that trade, that is our, actually our largest single position in the fund at this point. Uh, and that is on top of that equity book uh, that I talked about earlier. Uh, in terms of hedging uh, the book, um, I mentioned at the beginning that this has been uh, one of the cheapest times ever to hedge the portfolio. And that's not just a function of low volatility. It's a function of the way volatility is pricing across the curve. Um, Within the last couple of weeks, uh, we reached the all-time low in the VIX, which is the, the nominal reading of volatility in the S and P 500, um, which is down in the nut with a nine handle on it. Um, it used to be a, a more normal reading was in the you know mid-teens. Uh, we got down to this level uh, at two thousand in two thousand seven, just before the financial crisis, and before you know the other time before that, we were this low it was way back in the early nineties when volatility and option markets were really just taking hold. Um, So at at this level, what ends up happening is um, people decide, you know, markets keep moving higher. There's really not been a major setback for a long period of time. And um, people decide that it's easy to what we call sell volatility. They sell downside put exposure because it feels like free money. Um, Another way to think about that is picking up nickels in front of the steamroller. You know, AIG thought it was really free money to sell CDS on mortgages um, until 2008 hit and they they went bankrupt. So um, there is a lot of that going on right now. Um, It does really compress the price of buying protection on the S&P, which is nice. Uh, But interestingly, um, there's so much selling of S&P downside that it's actually even cheaper than areas that we think are more defensive than the market generally. So areas like staples or utilities or REITs um, uh, offer higher prices than what you have to pay to buy protection on the S&P itself. So what we've done is sold protection, sold downside puts on those areas like utilities and REITs and staples, and used that premium to buy even more protection on the S&P itself. And our logic is simply that if the market rolls over, um, the S&P will obviously go down, and we own a lot of those puts, so we'll, we'll make money there. But more reasonably, people will rotate back into defensive sectors, so those sectors will really not go down nearly as much, meaning that we could actually make money on both sides of that trade. Um, uh, We've been having that trade on uh, for the last couple of months. Uh, The market hasn't gone down, uh, nor have those sectors, so uh, we did the the trade for very little money, uh, and it really didn't cost us anything over that period. And we're rolling it out now for another couple of months, because we can still do that. Um, So for very little money down, we end up with a very, very tight curve. Uh, Now, our curve moves around as the return of the portfolio moves around. But, um, you know, we've not really historically been able to carry this tight a curve, because it simply just costs too much money. So we're much tighter than where we've been historically... uh, because uh we're able to do it for um like 10 percent of what it would normally cost us which is crazy um you may not notice it in the portfolio because there hasn't been downside in the market really um but uh but if we can carry it for close to free then why wouldn't we do that and and we think that's the right thing to do so with all of that um you know we kind of look at the market today and uh it's not hugely attractive to us uh, on a risk reward basis, but uh, that said, we understand the market can keep going higher, um, and there's some reasons why it could. Uh, earnings, you know, had a, a pretty good first quarter on a year over year basis. You know, a big help to that was energy. You know, the price of oil was up almost twofold on a year over year basis, so clearly that helped make earnings look a lot better generally. Uh, But you know, U.S. earnings and growth, we're not looking for them to to go negative or anything. We think they will grow better than they have largely in the last 18 months. Certainly that would be even better if tax cuts did manage to get uh, passed through. Uh, We don't see an imminent recession right now, either North America or globally. Uh, Ratcheting up of trade tension could certainly accelerate the onset of a recession. So it's something we're watchful for. But right now, uh, there's no sign of that. Uh, no sign of a recession coming. Inasmuch much as the Fed is raising rates very slowly. I think everybody would have to agree that globally central bank policy is very accommodative and that's supportive of, of current equity prices. And probably maybe most important, um, you know, sentiments remain skeptical of a rally to meaningful new highs. And uh, as long as there's non-believers, there's room for the market to go higher. So. You know, we're, uh, our job is not to catch every last inch of the upside, you know, regardless of where it comes from or how much risk is associated with it. We're going to try and own um, positions where we feel the upside is much bigger than the downside, uh, like we're doing with Europe uh, and, and to a large extent the rest of our equity book, uh, and hedge ourselves accordingly in case, um, in case something surprising does happen and the market finally decides to go down at one point, which, which we all know it will. So with that, uh, I'm going to um, I'm going to close my remarks. Uh, as always, please reach out to uh, any of our salespeople uh, if you have any questions or or uh, things you'd like to discuss, and they will get in touch with me, and we will uh, work with you to um, to resolve all those questions. And with that, uh, have a great day.